Body of Christ at Cliff. We're delighted to uh, have been invited for uh, this special, special occasion. Actually, the invitation wasn't that hard. I, I just got a call and asked if I believed in free speech. I said, yes, they said, come give one. So that's really how this came about. But, but I'm really delighted for the privilege of uh, being at the celebration of God's blessing here. Um, Tommy King, where are you, Tommy? Over here, who y'all stole from us. That's the first time I've heard people applaud for breaking one of the Ten Commandments. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Vaughn, I see, I see her here, and uh, um, we deeply appreciate them and um, and the contribution they made during their long tenure with us that they continue to make for the kingdom of God uh, here. And so we're excited about that. I came with a good uh, friend of mine tonight who's a member of our church who happens to live out here in Lantana. And uh, Craig Bradshaw, wave Craig. I told him tonight, I had we had dinner, uh, and I told him tonight, you know, uh, driving out here from Oak Cliff, to visit them and to come here made me appreciate them very much. It's a pretty good clip uh, that they come every Sunday, so uh, he decided to join me tonight. And so we do celebrate with you on this very special uh, series of occasions uh, in God's goodness, uh, not simply in building a building, buildings come and go, but in expanding the ministry, because that's what should be happening with the site. So we already hear that the growth has been great and uh, uh, in the, in the sh- few weeks that you've been here. And so we, we, as part of the expanded body, do celebrate with you and uh, uh, rejoice with you uh, at the goodness of God uh, on your life and on your ministry. And that takes me to a passage of Scripture that I'd like to just briefly share with you tonight from Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, and I'd like to read the last few verses, and then share some thoughts with you. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 reads, Therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and slammed against that house. Yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Father, allow these few moments and these few words to encourage this great church and these great people for the purposes of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Here we have a story of two people. It concludes the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher who ever proclaimed. Jesus himself is speaking in this sermon on the mount, as it has been called, to tell his disciples primarily how they were to live in the new age that was about to dawn. 
They were getting ready to enter into a new covenant, a new arrangement. God was preparing in this transitional period his leadership primarily for the dawning of the new age. So the Sermon on the Mount fundamentally are the precepts and principles of kingdom living in the church age, the age of the Spirit. He comes to the conclusion of his sermon and he tells a story that I think bids you well in this era of new beginnings for you in this place. I find it intriguing because it can appeal to us on a number of levels. First of all, I want to compare these two men. I want to talk about what made them alike. They both had a dream or a vision. Because the passage says that they both wanted to build a house. They anticipated a great future. To build a house was to build a place of stability, to build a place of longevity. And it could refer to any number of things. For example, to build a house in the Bible could refer to building a, a life. Life is referred to in the Bible as a house, and it has to do with building a future for yourself. Or it could refer to building a home, a family, because families live in houses. The Bible regularly talks about somebody's household, meaning their family. So it could be building an individual's well-being and life and success and future and career. Or it could be to build a house in terms of one's family structure. Or it could be to build a church because, of course, the church is called the household of God in 1 Timothy 3. And certainly on this occasion where you are celebrating this new house, where the family of God occupies it, who are being trained and taught to become followers of Jesus Christ personally as well as corporately, you see, this could refer to any level you wish or any level you need. But the thing I want you to know is that each one of them wanted to build something. They wanted to rise up from the ground and have something to show, a house. No individual wants to have a failed life. They don't start out planning that. No family plans to end up in divorce. That's not the normal way you approach things or to, to be broken and scattered and destroyed. You, you get married, you want to build a home. And every pastor I know that builds a church, builds a house, wants that house to flourish and wants that house to be strong and vibrant and impactful. Because we, we have our dreams. And those dreams are always for a better life, family, or ministry. So these two people, these two men in this case, had much in common. They had the same dream. Let me tell you something else about these two men. They went to the same church. Now the reason we know that they went to the same church is because both of these men heard these words of mine. Both men were listening to the preacher. And you couldn't have gotten a better pastor. Jesus is talking. So you got the living word, communicating the word, which would ultimately become the written word. It just doesn't get any better than that. You're talking about biblical exposition. 
Jesus says, both men heard these words of mine. So it's not that one man was a believer and the other man was an atheist, or that one man was religious and another man was agnostic. No, both were both understood the importance of church and the Bible teaching because both were sitting under evangelical teaching because they were listening to Jesus. So both who wanted to build a house knew that they were going to have to have a solid foundation for that. They were going to have to have biblical instruction in order to have a sound construction of a house, whether it be their life, their family, or the ministry. So they were a lot alike religiously. There's a third comparison here that makes these two men a lot alike. And that is they both face the same problems. You see, both men face the storm. It says the storm came and it affected both men. That meant that they were in relative proximity to one another because they were they were facing the same kind of difficulties, a storm. In the Bible, a storm is always given of trials, difficulties, uh, 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 adverse scenarios in life. And whether you're trying to build a life or a family or a ministry, it's going to rain. We have setbacks in our lives. We have struggles in our home. We have battles in our ministries. It, it, it comes with living. I, I, I sure wish I could have come out here on this great celebrative day and tell you, congratulations, Rock Point, because from here on, there will be no problems. That wouldn't be true, because in this world, yeah, you shall have trouble. It comes with, comes with the ticket of life. And all, all you need, really... You know, sometimes I get mail. You get mail. It simply says occupant. And what that means is we don't care who lives here. <laughs> the storms have a way of just attacking occupants. Just because you're here. And it faced both men. So, so let's, let's review. Both men had a dream. They wanted to build something. They, they wanted to go somewhere. Both men had instruction. They, they went to church and they went to evangelical church because they were listening to these words of mine. They were listening to the words of Jesus. And both men had struggles. They had difficult times, storms in life. Now that's where the, that's where the comparison of these two people ends and their contrast begins. Now, now they become different all of a sudden because the first man is called a wise man, and the second one is called a fool. One is called wise, the other is called foolish, which means a wise man can have a dream and a fool can have a dream. A wise man can go to church and listen to sound Bible teaching, and a fool can go to church and listen to sound Bible teaching. It means a wise man can have trouble and a fool can have trouble. Because while they all had those commonalities, there is a fundamental contrast between them. Jesus says, the wise man built his house and the fool built his house. 
In the Bible, the word wisdom never refers to intellectual capacity, nor does the word fool. It's never dealing with IQ quotients. It's never dealing with intellectual acumen. No. In the Bible, wisdom and foolishness is related to choices. The wise man makes a certain kind of choice, and the fool makes another kind of choice. Therein is the difference. In fact, we even use it this way. We, when we talk about a person having book sense but no common sense, we're talking about they don't know how to choose right even though they got all this information in their head. We talk about things being a foolish thing to do, uh, a choice being made. So let's get this straight. We're not talking about academia when we talk about foolishness and wisdom. We're talking about selections, choices. As this ministry grows and faces the various challenges of life, there will be many opportunity for choices. In your own life, in your own family, in the instruction of your own children, most of that talk is going to be about decision making. And the fundamental choice in this passage that determined who the fool was and who the wise man was is regarding the foundation. It says, one man built his house on a rock, and the other man built his house on sand. So it, it was all about the foundation, not the superstructure. It was what the house was resting on that made it, the, that created the determination of who was a fool and who was not. The first man built his house on a rock. The second man, the foolish man, built his house on sand. You go to downtown anywhere, say Dallas. And if you've ever been downtown and you've seen them build a skyscraper, they will cordison off the area where the skyscraper is going. And you always know how high they plan to go up by how low they go down. In other words... You cannot build a skyscraper on the foundation of a chicken coop. In other words, it must be worthy of being held in that spot. So the higher you plan to go up, the deeper you better go down. See, a lot of people I know want skyscraper lives on chicken coop foundations. They want skyscraper families on chicken coop foundations, or they want even skyscraper ministries on chicken coop foundations when a chicken coop's foundation is not worthy of that much superstructure. A, um, a rocky foundation is hard. That's a hard thing to build. because You've got you to gotta drill through rock. In fact, when Luke tells this story, same story, in Luke chapter 6, he says that the wise man had to dig deep. Sandy foundations are easy because you, you don't, you're, not, you're not trying to go, there, go down low because all you got is more dirt, more sand. 
Rocky foundations are expensive. It, it's really expensive when you're trying to build something on rock. Sandy foundations are fairly cheap, very inexpensive. Rocky foundations take a lot of time. Sandy foundations are quick. So before you decide how high you want to go up, you better have a discussion about how low you're willing to go down. You've got to raise the question, is where I am able to hold where I want to be? Because what, what determined who was wise and who was foolish was all about this foundation. I was over in Italy uh, six years ago, and I went to a place named Pisa. Now, there's only one thing in this town called Pisa. The Leaning Tower of Pisa. Actually, I couldn't believe I, I, I couldn't believe that I went all around the world to watch a building do this. It's just a leaning building, and it ain't that big. It looked big when they showed on television, little teeny thing, and it's just doing this. Thousands of people just watching the building do this. I thought you got to be out of your mind. To be halfway around the world to watch a building that do that. People just taking pictures and people selling replicas of the building doing this. I mean, it's just... Listen, if you ever go to Italy, skip Pisa. Because it's a waste of time and money. When I was over there, they had ropes tied around the base of the Leaning Tower. Because every year it was leaning one twentieth of an inch more. They were predicting in seven years it was going to fall over. Unless some work was done on it. You see, a lot of people don't know why the Leaning Tower of Pisa leans. Let me tell you why. The Leaning Tower of Pisa leans because it's located in Pisa. Because Pisa means marshy. See, it wasn't built on a solid foundation, and it's been leaning ever since. Oh, I got black Baptists in here. Excuse them, we got two blacks in the Super Bowl. They don't know how to act. So it's a... It was leaning because it, was, it had never been situated on the right foundation. So you know what the Leaning Tower of Pisa is today? A tourist attraction. It's for folk to come and look at because you can't do anything with it. You ever seen people whose lives are tourist attractions? Families who are tourist attractions? Churches that are monuments. Tourist You can go all over England and see the most phenomenal churches, but you can't do anything with them. Because nobody goes there. They don't, they're just magnificent edifices of nothingness. What kind of church are you building? As you begin in this new arena, this new location, this new edifice, 
is magnificent and beautiful and well situated in this growing area that it is, will you be wise? Foolish. Well, that raises the question. What then is a rock foundation versus a sand foundation? What, 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 what's the difference? Well, he tells you, actually. He says, the wise man heard, wise man heard these words of mine and acted on them. And the foolish man heard these words of mine and did not. Biblical knowledge doth not necessarily a foundation give you. It gives you information. It is the application of biblical truth that determines your foundation. Not the knowledge of biblical truth. Now, obviously, you need the knowledge in order to know what to apply. But simply having great Bible teaching by a great pastor doesn't make you a great ministry and won't build you a great life. It is a necessary ingredient, but it is insufficient in and of itself. So a rock foundation is a foundation of biblical truth applied in the life. That's wisdom. A foolish foundation is a foundation of biblical truth known, not yet applied. That man or woman is a fool. That's the difference between wisdom and fool. It's a choice. I choose to act on it. I choose not to act on it. But we all come to hear it. Everybody's not equal. Every individual's not equal. Every family's not equal. And every ministry is not equal because of how it handles the foundation. What is a sandy foundation then? A sandy foundation, sand is shifting. Always, sand is always moving. See, rocks, it's, it's bad. It's the way it is. Sand is shifting. See, you only have two choices in life in terms of your foundation. God's opinion, man's opinion. Divine viewpoint, human viewpoint. Those are the only viewpoints. It's man or God. And who you going to follow. Now there is a way that seemeth right to man. There is man's way. There is the way uh, of uh, humanism. A man-centered approach to life and living. Now we have an interesting bifurcation today. Because today what we have are people who, who really want to try both. They want they, they go to church on Sunday to get God's viewpoint only to have it trumped on Monday by man's viewpoint. And they try to live in both viewpoints. So they want rocks mixed with sand. They want a mixture of the two. Not understanding that once you integrate the human viewpoint into the divine viewpoint, you have contaminated the divine viewpoint. And the divine viewpoint will not work. It cancels it out. Now, I, I don't like, my favorite fruit is not uh, an apple. I don't like apples. I don't like apples. I'm just not an apple kind of person. Well, there is an exception to this, and that is the Texas State Fair. Now, I love them apples. 
because them are candy apples at the Texas State Fair. But my doctor tells me candy apples are, are, are absolutely of absolutely no nutritional value whatsoever. Because the moment they're dipped in the liquid sugar, the nutritional value is canceled out. Because I've introduced an element that is of no value. When I was, uh, a number of years ago, when the first time I learned to ride a horse, I got on this horse and... Um, and I was learning, and but I, but I really didn't need a lot of instruction because I had seen enough westerns to know how to ride a horse. You know, I grew up on Roy Rogers, you know, and the Rifleman, and all that stuff. I I knew how to ride a horse, and I knew the fundamental things to say and do. First of all, giddy up, high, you know, giddy up, high, kick it on the side. I'm good to go. So I got on my horse and I, I did my Roy Rogers thing. Giddy up! Ha! But I had a horse that was a candidate for Terrell. I had, I had a little, little horse that had issues. This horse had issues because this horse would like go two steps, then back up three steps, then go three steps and come up with a. And I called a wrangler over. I said, I need another horse. This horse is crazy. This horse has lost its mind. This horse is afflicted. I need you. You got to give me a horse to work. He laughed and said, it ain't the horse that's crazy. I said, what you mean? He looked at me and he said, you can't go. Giddy up. High. And kick it on the side while simultaneously pulling back on the reins. The horse is so confused. He doesn't know whether you want to go forward or backward. He doesn't know what you want to do because you send and mix it. See, a lot of folk come to church on Sunday and they praise and they pray and hallelujah, praise the Lord, and they read their Bible. But then on Monday, they be sending God mixed signals. Whose way you want here? You want my way? You want your way? You want how you were raised or what I say? What your mama taught you or what your God taught you? you are, who's, whose way you want here? And we send mixed signals. I, my son one time, uh, 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 for Christmas I bought him a bicycle many years ago. And, and it came with these thick, you know, when, kind of when you had to do this stuff yourself and, and, and screws and washers and, and, and nuts and bolts and had a whole bag of them. And, and I'm looking at this and I had this whole thick manual. Assembly manual. Well, now, I, I said to myself, man, I'm a smart man. You know, I, I have an earned doctorate degree, and and I am not going to spend all my time going through this manual. I, I, don't, I don't have time for that. I'm a smart, I'm a smart African-American man. I can handle this. Eight hours later, with just the handlebars on. <laughs> My wife came to the door and gave me a novel idea. She said, why don't you read the directions? Now, what she was implying, she was implying something real deep. She was implying that possibly, could it possibly be the case 
that the manufacturer of the bike knew more about the assembling of the bike than I did. Is that possible? I humbled myself and picked up the directions and completed in 45 minutes with what my own understanding couldn't fix in eight hours. Because I, I, I had a faulty view of myself. I thought I, would, I knew more about assembling this thing than they did. And most folk I know think they know more about living life than the Creator. Too many churchmen know more about building churches than the author of the church. Too many husbands know more about manhood than God. Too many wives more about womanhood than God. And we wonder why we're in such disarray. Even though we go to church and hear the word. You see, we we want to know why the car won't run that has diesel fuel in it when it's been built for unleaded. Let's see, that's an illegitimate mixture. And so we find that one house stood and another house fell. One house made it and another house didn't. One man, person made it. One man or person didn't. One family made it. Another family didn't. One church made it. Another church didn't. In your era of new beginnings here at this great church with this great potential, it is your foundation that will determine your future. It's not about, you know the walls and the carpet and in the wood give a good Texas tornado and all that goes away now let me ask a question when did it become apparent who the fool was and who the wise man was I mean when when, when, when did everybody else know who the fool was and who the wise man was. Well, the text says when the storm came. As long as it was sunny, both of them looked okay. As long as there were no weather or meteorological patterns that were disturbing anything, everybody looked successful. See, you can look good till the storm comes. You can be happy till the storm comes. You can be successful Tell the storm. It was the storm that separated the wise man from the fool. It was the storm that said who built what on what. It was the storm. And this is not no this is not ordinary storm. It says the rains came down, the floods came up, the wind blew so that they could knock a building over. Guess what that is? Katrina. That's a hurricane. When you got rain, rain coming down, flood coming up, and wind that can blow over a house, that's a hurricane. He's not discussing minor problems. He's discussing hurricane season. And you will face hurricane season. You will face it in individual lives. Some of us will face it with health issues. Others of us with uh, maybe uh, job losses. Others of us with uh, 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 personal challenges and struggles. Uh, couples face hurricane season when 
the relationship is so shaky and so difficult. You don't know that you can persevere and keep this thing together. Or there's a child who goes off the deep end and, uh, and you don't know how to reel them back in because they have adopted rebellion that's brought havoc into your family. And so there's a family hurricane. And there's church hurricanes where the pastor and the deacon aren't on the same page and they're not working together in concert or there's a disruptive member or there's a clique in the church that develops that's trying to pull people and bring disharmony in the church. There is always hurricane. And it happened to everybody, whether you're a fool or whether you're wise. But the difference is, what foundation are you on? Let me tell you a secret. Shh, don't tell nobody I told you this. You can't fix a foundation in a storm. You can fix it before the storm. And you can fix it after the storm, but you can't fix it in a storm. See, a lot of folk want to get stuff right in a storm. That's called backwards Christian soldiers. <laughs> the idea is to lay it right before the storm. It was the foundation. reminds me of a story in Mark chapter 4 where Jesus tells the disciples, let us go to the other side. They all get in the boat. They're in the boat. They're riding across the water. Halfway across the water, a storm breaks out. It's the Greek word there is lilac. It's a windstorm because the uh, Galilee, uh, Galilee uh, Sea is, uh, is in a basin surrounded by mountains and the wind can sometimes whip up into a little funnel and be sucked down in there creating havoc on the water and it says and a storm broke out and we know the, the, the scope of the storm because these professional fishermen were scared for their lives it's only an 8 mile trip across the Galilee so when you get professional fishermen terrified that they're going to die on an 8 mile trip you know it's a serious situation so they're scared to death they bailing water out and all of a sudden they look up and notice something that that, that uh, evangelically ticks them off. Jesus is asleep on the stern. Now what good is a Savior who's sleeping when you need him? Wait a minute. We are fighting for our lives. And Jesus is sleeping. I don't know if you've ever felt in a storm that your Savior was asleep when you needed him most. He's sleeping. Oh, it's worse than that. It says he was asleep in the storm on a cushion. That's a pillow. If you sleep on a pillow, that meant you intended to go to sleep. You didn't, you didn't do that. You, you didn't tuck that baby up under your head, and this was a serious plan in motion. He is asleep on a cushion. So Jesus is not only asleep, he's asleep on purpose. They can't take it anymore. They come over to him and say, wake him up. It says they aroused him. They, they shook him because he was like deep sleep. They shook him and woke him up. He said, get up. And 
then they hit him with the feeling all of us who have been through a storm have had, carest thou not that we perish. Don't you even care? I mean, if you cared, you'd at least be helping us bear water. You'd be doing something. You wouldn't be sleeping if you cared. Because sometimes in a storm, he doesn't feel like God cares. And the telephone line is busy, and he seems to be totally sleeping on you when you need him most. Jesus arouses, gets up, and says, Why are you so timid, O ye of little faith? Now, I don't know about you, but that question ticks me off. Why are you so timid? I can see Peter now. Why are we so timid? Why are we so timid? Oh, I don't know. Maybe because we're getting ready to die. says, you know your problem? Oh, ye a little faith. Ye a little faith in what? Gentlemen, when, when we were at dry dock, what did I say? Well, you said, let us go to the other side. Excuse me? What did I say? You said, let us go to the other side. Where are we going? To the other side. Did I say singular or plural? Did I say, let me go to the other side? Or did I say, let us go to the other side? Gentlemen, if you would have been paying attention to the word and acting on what you just heard, when you saw a pillar under my head, you would have put a pillar under yours. Because I said, we're going to get to the other side. I didn't say, let us go halfway and die. So let me tell you a secret in coming to this Bible-honoring, Bible-teaching church. When you hear God's word, he's going to test to see whether you were paying attention. And how is he going to test it? With a hurricane. With a disruption of your world. He's going to see whether you were just there, whether you were just reading, whether you were just nodding, or whether you were saying, no, I'm going to act on this thing. With our national ministries called the Urban Alternative, and um, every few years we do an event for people who support our radio program and our different uh, outreach activities. And we had a cruise to, to Alaska, so we had about 300 of our supporters on the cruise. And on the way back from Alaska, a storm broke out in the Pacific. It was the worst storm Royal Caribbean had ever endured. The waves hit the boat 50 feet high. It was tossing this cruise line around like a tin can, and it was midnight when the storm hit. So it's dark, and you got pianos flying, dishes flying, people flying, people throwing up. I mean, it was, it was the scariest thing I've ever been a part of, and it was horrific. They, they told everybody, go to your cabins. Well, my wife was really upset, and 
the reason why she was upset was because the the captain had another option. If you've ever been to Alaska, there's there's what they call the inside passage. So that way you you're going around land, which 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 buttresses you from a storm. But we were out there in in just the pure ocean, so we, there was no buttressing of the storm. And he could have gone on the inside passage. The problem was that would have taken extra time. And, of course, they want a schedule to get you back so they can load up the next group and take them back out. So it's a money thing. So we're out there. So she just gets to the point where she can't take it anymore. And so she picks up the telephone and says, I want to speak to the captain. I just put my hand in my face. I said, oh, no. She said, I want to speak to the captain. Well, she said, the operator said, I'm sorry. The captain can't come now. He's, he's taking us through the storm. She says, I just don't understand why he didn't go through the inside passage and, and, and why he would have us out here since he knew the storm was coming because he warned us that we might hit a storm. About five minutes, ten minutes later, the phone rang, and it was the assistant to the captain. And the assistant to the captain said, I understand, uh, ma'am, that you just called about your concern on the storm. And I understand your discomfort right now. But I do want to share one thing with you. This is what he told her. He said, this ship was built with this storm in mind. What he was saying was, when we were on dry dock, we knew this day was going to come. When, when the worthiness of this ship would be tested by Mother Nature, but even though it's uncomfortable, I want you to know consideration has already been made for what you're going through. And this boat can handle it. I don't know what your life will face, your family will face, or this church will face. I do know that this ship was built with that storm in mind. And that God has already taken into consideration the hurricanes that will come your way. When I was a boy growing up in Baltimore, where I'm from, my father came home one day and brought me a uh, a balloon punching bag. Some of you may have had it as children, and and so you'd hit it, bam, and it hit the floor, boom, but then it would bounce back, bing, go, bam, bam, it go, boom. Boom. Then come out. Bing. One time I kicked it. Wow. It hit the wall. It popped up to the ceiling. Then went bam, 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 In other words, it kept coming back. Now, the reason it kept coming back was that there was a weight at the bottom. At the bottom, there was this weight. There was air in the balloon, but there was a weight at the bottom. And the weight at the bottom was heavier than the air above it. So no matter what I did up here, down there determined where things wound up. I wish I could tell you as you come to this new edifice, and this new ministry, and this new beginning, that there will be no bams. But there will, because... The nature of storms just come. The question is, do you have the weight at the bottom so you come back? Beep. I wish I could tell you in your personal life there will be no boom, boom, and therefore no bam, bam, but if you're, the weight at the bottom is right, 
You, you get to come back, B. This house, this spiritual house, this church, is situated in a great growing community which will allow you to reach people who are unchurched or nominally churched. There will be the opportunity to change lives. In your own life, there will be opportunities to do great things for God and to experience great things from God. Just make sure that when you build it, it's resting on the right foundation.